You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are here, and we've got a good one. It is February. It is Black History Month, and we thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool to talk about the Black Geek Experience? It's a perfect topic for this week, and we've got some great folks to join us about this one. And, you know, if that wasn't enough for this episode, we also have filmmaker from, right from Australia is joining us. That's right. We are talking to Adrian Powers, and he is going to talk about the projects he's working on and, you know, what's it like in a land down under. And he's going to be taking a shot at the geek seat, you know can't ask for a better episode than that so it's gonna be a fun action-packed episode and speaking of action-packed this man has a vision all of his own he doesn't even need a wanda he just has vision it's mr mike gordon howdy how are you this week sir i am peachy keen and yourself i'm doing great are you ready for another episode of our station one uh yes always uh you know it's what i it, you know what and i think i've said this before but it you know it doesn't hurt to repeat it um and say it publicly but you know my time on earth station one has has been one of the consistently positive fun things to do during this whole pandemic time and i am grateful for it and uh it has been i'm glad it's part of my life wow that's pretty awesome. And it's not even Thanksgiving for you to say what you're thankful for. <laughs> no. Well, you know, you know, love is in the air. It's February, right? We just had Valentine's Day weekend. So I'm going to, I'm going to share the love. I guess somebody got shot with that arrow or something like that. But it's awesome to talk to you, Mikey. It's always a great pleasure. And speaking of a pleasure, we'd love to hear from you guys. Please write us at feedback at earthstation1.com. Please let us know what's going on in your life, what's happening. Please let us know. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. And, you know, while you're at it, please tell your friends to subscribe to us anywhere fine podcasts are fine. Five stars if you want to rate us and any feedback. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. Another big thing we'd love from you guys is to support our sponsor. Our sponsor, who do you ask? Of course, it's Tifosi Optics. With Tifosi Optics, you can get a really awesome pair of gamer glasses, blue light blocking glasses, or safety goggles, or sunglasses. That's who they, what they're known for. With Tifosi Optics, you can get sunglasses made custom ordered with any color that you could think of within reason of course you know polka dots i'm not so sure they're up there or not but you never know just check them out at tifosioptics.com and if you go up there and you put the coupon earth station one right into the coupon code you get 10 percent off your whole order it's not too shabby when you're buying a pair of sunglasses so check it out tifosioptics.com and now we are here with our new friend, Adrian Powers, coming to us from Sydney, Australia. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here and talk to you guys. Welcome to the station. We appreciate ha having you here. Um, for those people who may not be familiar with your work, tell us a little about what you do. 
Uh, I'm a filmmaker from Sydney, Australia, and I, uh, I'm a writer and director and an editor. Uh, I've worked on, I've been lucky enough to work on lots and lots of projects over the years. Um, you know, uh, I, I directed a movie called Forbidden Ground or co-directed, I should say, uh, Forbidden Ground, which is a World War I movie. Uh, action film and I've edited a bunch of films that you can find uh, on streaming and whatnot but uh, the reason that I'm lucky enough to talk to you guys today is about my new short film Brolga which uh, has recently hit uh, YouTube and in, in streaming and, and and yet bizarrely is also going on to a few more festivals subsequent to that which is really nice um, which is a post-apocalyptic uh, science fiction film uh, set in, in in Australia uh, you know, set in the future you know, of Australia. Awesome. That's yeah. I want to get to that um, for sure. But before we do that, what, where does your sort of interest, love for film come from? Uh, I, I well, I'm a huge thanks to my parents. I, I think I got to say big movie lovers, both my folks and I just grew up watching movies and, and my folks both love genre content. Like my mom, uh, is, you know, one of the OG original people that was watching Star Trek back in the 60s, you know, mm-hmm. and, and she was watching it here in Australia with even worse technology than you guys had in the States. So, like, you know, they never <laughs> got Star Trek in color or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, I, so I was raised on on movies and I, I, I've just always loved loved the form. I've always loved cinema and cinematic storytelling and i was making you know it's the it's almost a cliche now right like once upon a time you're hearing filmmakers going i was shooting super eight movies in my backyard and now we've reached the stage where i was shooting little movies with little digital cameras in my backyard and but it's the same principle and you know it just kind of snowballed from there but i was when i was about 21 i was working in an, in an eb games or gamestop you know <laughs> you know that that which is in the news um and one of my colleagues who had been to film school was like dude um if you're into movies as much as you are and i'd expressed you know oh, i want to do this i could do this he's like well you should go to film school and sometimes i feel like a bit of an idiot because it really hadn't occurred to me to do it like as a job uh and 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 then he encouraged me to go and study film and so i went and did that and had a fantastic time with that at a film school, which was really hands-on. It wasn't just sitting in a classroom and talking. You were going out and making films, which is essential. Um, and and things just kind of snowballed from there. And outside of school, I was able to get work and as an editor and as a director, which is, you know, wonderfully lucky. And, yeah, I've just been blessed since then to be able to continue to work uh, professionally as a filmmaker. Yeah, I understand. I mean, for the longest time, and I know of uh, a lot of great talent that's come out of Australia over the years, um, certainly. Um, Also know that they have a great film program. A lot of great directors and artists come from there. Um, Is the is the sort of film community pretty big in in that country? Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 there is a, there is a big and, and, you know, enthusiastic film industry here. It's not the same kind of setup as it have, as you know, we have in the States, obviously Australia, even though Australia like geographically is basically the equivalent size of the United States, yeah. much, m- many fewer people. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, we don't have uh, a film studio industry here. You know, we don't have giant corporations that are making movies. You know, a lot of our movies are subsidized by the government and we have, you know, great and stuff that help us in the support of our films. Um, but, you know, as I was, you know, saying to a bunch of friends the other day, like the COVID scenario has been really interesting for Australian films because we inherit so many films from America and Australia, you know, loves American film and American TV. Um, but the fact that that's been kind of strangled a little bit has meant that Australian cinema has been given a chance to kind of thrive. 
in the pandemic. And we're actually seeing now for the, I I think the statistic is right, but for the first time ever, there's three Australian films, one, two, and three at the box office in Australia, which I think has, 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 I don't think has ever actually happened before. That's amazing. Um, It's truly incredible. And so as someone who loves uh, you know, American content and international content from all over the world. You know, it's not just America that's being strangled. It's film industries all over the world that are getting strangled by this situation. Um, you know, we really want that to continue and we, and we feel for all of our brethren all over the world. But at the same time, it's so good to get Australian movies and to have everyone just be going to see Australian movies. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a smaller, but definitely a, a more, a, definitely a, a passionate uh, film base here in Australia, for sure. Are there any particular filmmakers or artists in general that uh, you draw inspiration of from? You know, I, I there, there are so many Australian filmmakers that I love. I feel like if you if you made me have to pick one, I guess I would probably have to say David Michaud, who who directed the movie Animal Kingdom, which actually got like a, a US TV version adaptation, which wasn't very good. But um, you know, he he's an Australian filmmaker who. I think is is incredibly talented and is also just one of the nicest and most humble guys you'll ever meet. This is a guy who made this movie, which is a really dark uh, psychological uh, gaze into like Australian criminal life. And I was a huge fan of it. And I bought the Blu-ray and I put the commentary on and halfway through the commentary, he's like, I really hope I'm not boring you guys with this. Is this interesting? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> what a sweetie. So yeah, David Michaud, but you know, obviously uh, George Miller and all the, you know, Bruce Beresford, all the great iconic Australian filmmakers. And, and, you know, it, it, there's, there's, Many more that are coming up now. It's so fantastic, uh, you know, to see that there's a huge influx now of female filmmakers that are really starting to take center stage here in Australia, which is long overdue, as it is elsewhere in the world. Um, so, yeah, I, I, like I was saying before, there's a smaller film industry, so I think there is a slightly more sense of a community bond, and you know, we're in this together. It's a it's a bit less cutthroat and and savage. Uh, there's a bit more of a camaraderie, I guess, maybe than you might find elsewhere. Mm, growing up i was such a big peter weir fan uh, oh, am, how good actually. how i mean peter weir is incredible i was literally just organizing some of my blu-rays the other day and i pulled out my copy of fearless which mm. is just one of my favorite movies of all time which is so criminally underseen yes. but it's just an incredible jeff bridges movie peter weir directs incredible yeah i find most of his movies are, are sort of underrated now i think they're under the radar totally. he doesn't get as much uh, uh acclaim i think as as he should yeah, like so good to see Russell Crowe the other day just coming out in defense of Master and Commander, which is just right. one of the best movies ever, in my opinion, period, <laughs> like ever made. And, you know, people are watching, oh, this is so boring. And he comes out and was just co- criticizing people for having a small, <laughs> a small attention span. And I was like, Russ, right on. <laughs> yeah, I was really hoping there would be more of those. Uh... Me too, man. And, and it's not, they've definitely got more they can pull from, right? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Absolutely. The bo- there's so many books out there to pull from. It's like twenty it's of them, amazing. right? Yep. So, um, so switching to your own film career as a filmmaker, um, your yeah, your own career as a filmmaker. What, um, like how? When was your first sort of taste of making movies? Well, you know, I, the answer. It's a it's a funny question, right? I guess if you want to be super technical, I guess it would be back in about 1994 when my dad helped me make a remake of Ghostbusters Two. Ghostbusters Two, Two. I, I, why would you want to remake that crap? <laughs> Look, I'll actually tell you guys again. I, you know, I'm not sure. You know, I'm I'm not sure 
what how old you guys are but as someone who was born in 1986 ghostbusters 2 is a beloved childhood classic just as much as the first one <laughs> uh, but yeah I we're back old at it. mike we are just so darn old yeah we are <laughs> but i look back at it now and i go ghostbusters 2 <laughs> why <laughs> um so uh, but, and, and so that, and then I, like I said, I was making small films and tiny documentaries all the way through like my teenage years. But I guess the real proper time that I, I got a chance to really make something that you would prop, call a proper movie or a proper film was when I went to film school. The best thing about where I went to film school, which is the International Film School here in Sydney, which is now called AFTT, different, different name, same school. Um, and they have a very holistic kind of approach to filmmaking. They believe that you, if you're going to be a director, you should understand how writing works. You should understand how, how editing works. You should understand how cinematography works so that you have a holistic view of filmmaking, but also so that you can communicate with the people in those fields and, and have a frame of reference. And so we made so many films and we would cycle through roles. You would direct one and you would be doing the catering on the other one or holding the boom. And it was really, really productive and great. And I made some, little films in there that I was really happy with. And then I made one called Scruples, um, which is a kind of a, a thriller crime story, which uh, had had some joy on the festival circuit and kind of snowballed. And eventually uh, we were lucky enough for it to be included in your film festival, which was a competition that was run by Ridley Scott, Michael Fassbender, YouTube and Emirates, the airline. And it was a big competition where they were taking films that were on YouTube and, and putting them out there in this, broad festival that would then have a screening in venice and we got into the top 10 of that and we, we went over to venice and met fassbender and spoke to scott free and that kind of stuff wow. and wow. that was a that was just an incredible experience and 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 as a result of that um yeah i've just managed to continue to get work uh, off the back of that i got my job uh directing co-writing sorry co-directing co-writing and editing my first feature film forbidden ground and um, yeah, it's just kind of gone from there. Wow, that is amazing. That's impressive. Um, regarding the uh, the new one, Broga, right? Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about that one. I understand it's a it's a story that uh, you are very familiar with from a young yeah. age. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the you know the the motivation for this story is is that the fact remains that here in Australia our first nations people the australian aboriginal people all their very varied cultures and groups you know there is a there's a, a terrible history of injustice that has been leveled upon those people by uh, you know colonialism and 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 uh, you know white colonialism coming in and laying waste to this country and and so much of those cultures over history and you know we've made progress in the years since the initial um times where th those two cultures met but this this we're still rife with injustice in terms of the relationships between those, these, these cultural groups. And, and, and that remains a, a hugely important issue for Australia. And as a boy growing up, I was made aware. I was, I was lucky enough to be made aware of these things because there are plenty of people that are educated without, uh, you know, and certainly prior to me in the past that were not educated on the history of these atrocities um, because of, you know, whatever, but I was lucky enough to be made aware of them. And, and ever since I was young, I'd always felt compelled to address this in some way in terms of a, a story or a piece of art. And this, this notion of, you know, thinking about what had been so difficult in the past and what remains difficult today, and, and then thinking about what would be happening in the future. What would, what, what is the, what are these cultural implications in the future? And um, that just kind of stuck in the back of my mind until many, many years later, whilst I was studying film, 
I became aware of the, the art of Michael Connolly, who's an Australian artist, poet, painter mainly, um, and some of the stories that he was telling through his art. And I was really uh, moved by them, particularly the story of the Brolga Crane, which is his adaptation of the, a Murawari legend, the Murawari being some of his ancestors. And um, I got in touch with him and just said, hi, Michael, you know, like, I'm thinking about doing this film. Here's an idea for what I think I'd like to do with it. I'd like to incorporate and collaborate, incorporate your work and collaborate with you on this. What do you think of this? You know, how does how do you feel about this? Would this be permissible? Do you think it's appropriate? Um, how do you feel? And he got back to me and he was just immediately, he and his partner, Joe, who was, who are just such wonderful people came back to me and said, we love this idea. We're super enthused, go for it. Um, and then I had further conversations with them on the phone to discuss the idea and, and it just kind of snowballed from there. And we incorporated his work into the film. And um, the movie ultimately has a message of, of people coming together and surviving and listening together and moving forward together. And that was the message of the film. And it was the intention with that collaboration. And so it was really a wonderful um, opportunity to work on this film, which I think now we're all really proud of and happy with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like uh, definitely it's for a great cause, um and yeah i can like you i mean even here in the states i mean we were kind of aware made aware of some of those issues in australia just i mean from the late 80s even right uh listening to midnight oil right (laughs) absolutely you know like i i still remember when at the australian olympic games you know they had midnight oil playing yes at the i think it was the closing ceremony i think it was and and they had these t-shirts on that said sorry which is referring to the, you know, the, the, the demand from the Aboriginal people for reconciliation and an apology for what happened. You know, there was never a treaty signed with the First Nations peoples of this, this country. Um, and it, it remains a hugely uh, important and controversial issue. Um, and, and, and so I'm happy that that has echoed out and touched the world in other ways, because, yeah, it, it's, it's an issue that remains to this day. And I do feel that, you know, there is a sort of bond in a lot of ways between America, United States of America and Australia to the extent that uh, for a lot of reasons, um, yeah. but um, I think good, the good with the bad and the bad, unfortunately, is both of our countries have experienced issues with, you know, uh, not treating indigenous uh, people very well. Absolutely. So it's something that I definitely think that we could relate to as well. Um, yeah. When we've screened the film, you know, we, we had the opportunity to screen the film in the States in person before the COVID lockdown happened. Oh wow! We went, over, we went over to LA and screened it there. And, you know, we were going over and I was saying, you know, I feel that American audiences will re- respond to this film. I was talking about this with, you know, because I, I feel that there are thematic things in this that they will connect with. And when we were there, we had some fantastic Q and A's and, people pretty much saying what you just said and, and mm. people saying, yeah, we have our own, you know, and there are people going, what are the parallels, you know, between them? Like how similar are they? And I was like, look, obviously both of these cases are unique and individual. I fully encourage you to go off and read about it and educate yourself on it. But if you want to distill it down to its elemental thing, it, it's white colonizers coming in and upsetting an, an indigenous people of a country. If you want to look at it in a sentence, okay. It. It's, it's pretty similar. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and it is released, right? People can, can view this. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's now just available on YouTube. All you have to do is type in uh, Brolga. You type it in Google, type it on YouTube. You can find it there. It's also on Vimeo. It's on Instagram. 
Um, but YouTube, I think, is the main place that people are finding it. Um, of course, if you're living in Germany, it is about to screen at the uh, German Sci-Fi Film Fest as part of the Australian Short Film Showcase in March. So feel free to check it out there as well if you feel that, uh, that way inclined. Nice, nice. Uh, for those people not in Germany, uh, we'll make it even easier for you. We'll put a link in our show notes so that they can just click on Thank you. The, the link there and, and go right to it. So, um, well, very cool. Um, this has been great, Mike. Um, I think he's ready for the, the, the geek seat to be strapped down. <laughs> hold on hold on i am watching his movie right now so we'll have to wait till i'm done <laughs> okay i'll do the darn geek seat oh, i'm ready no, i'm ready guys. it's adrian so of course we'll be glad to do it for him you know <laughs> all right adrian ready for your first question my friend so ready all right adrian what was your favorite geek out moment so first of all, I felt very constrained by the fact to make it a moment. I was like, oh, God, this is I was, I was sweating bullets. I was like, what's it got to be? And I was going to say, there's so many things in Star Trek and so many things in superhero things. But, you know, I, I had to be honest. And I was like, you got to level with yourself, dude. It's got to be Cap getting the hammer in Endgame. I was like, that was that was just incredible. Like, you know, as, as a lifelong fan of comic books and seeing him get Mjolnir and being in a cinema with you know, hundreds of people just screaming. I was like, yes, <laughs> we, we rule the world, guys. Geeks rule the world. Mm. Everyone's excited because Cap can wield Thor's hammer. If you told me that in 2005, <laughs> I would not have believed you. But yeah, got to go with that. The first, the first time I saw that movie, I actually didn't hear Thor yell, I knew it, because I, everyone was cheering so loud in the theater. And everything. I was exactly the same. I actually was looking at it, and I, I saw him mouth the words, and I think I think he said, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome. But, yeah, the second time I caught it, it was good. And the third Love time. It. And the, you know, so, Love yeah, it. That is, it is, that is a great one. That is true. But let's see. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Uh Guys, I'm, I'm going to do this, the same thing and, and do something really contemporary because, you know, we've all had lots of really disappointing geek out moments in our lives, right? But I got to go with the entirety of The Rise of Skywalker as, as um, just one of the worst films I've seen in a long time. Really awful. And I was going into that. I, I, did, not re I did not like The Force Awakens, even though I thought it's fun. It's, it, you know, whatever. It's okay. But... You know, as the movie's going, you're following this quest for Luke Skywalker. I'm like, I'm into this. This is so cool. And then literally at the midpoint of the film, they start talking about this other star killer based thing. I'm like, you lost me. Did not like The Last Jedi when I saw it initially, but then I watched it a few more times. I was like, okay, there's things about this I can get into. Maybe they're going to tie it up. And then that last movie was just a complete waste of my time. And I went, I went and saw it. I was on location for a movie. I went and saw it at the cinema. And I went out and I was like, that was just a waste of my time. <laughs> I believe it. So I'm going to go with the rise of Skywalker. Let's let, let, and let's say the moment in the rise of Skywalker where Lando shows up with a bunch of characters you've never seen or heard from just a, just a joke. <laughs> I, I, I think it's interesting, Mike, that, uh, you know, prior to those movies coming out, a lot of uh, a very popular choice of this point in geek moments was the prequels. But now we're finding yes. that the <laughs> one or all of the uh, the uh, the threesome afterwards uh, are coming up as well as has some answers. So I, 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 exactly, I mean, like, guys, I like I said. So so I, when the Phantom Menace came out, I was twelve, right? So I 
was the perfect audience for that movie. I saw The Phantom Menace nine times in the Woo! cinema. Uh, then, you know, as I got older and, and got started working in film, I looked back and I'm like, wow, those movies are just awful. <laughs> like, they're, they're really bad. Um, but I've come around now all the way around again to be like, you know what? I'd rather watch those than the new ones because it's still just George going off on this weird tangent. And again, they were shot here, you know, so I can, there's all sorts of things that I can, I can watch attack of the clones and be like, how bad is this? Let's get some popcorn. But with the rise of Skywalker, it's just, Oh, turn it off. I'd rather just like look outside. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we know what not to show you when you come visit guys, obviously I still bought like, you know, the, the Skywalker saga <laughs> giant box set. I've watched all the supplemental features. I watched the, I've watched the film like five times I'm trapped, but you know, it's not good. Yeah, you're, si- you're sitting there eating popcorn. I hate this. I hate this. I hate it's this. Um, hey, we all have so- unhealthy addition, addictions. Exactly. So it's okay. Exactly. But you know, my girlfriend who she is a super nerd, she's a huge geek. She loves all this kind of stuff. She, she, she's like, dude, Star Wars is bad. You need to get over Star Wars. It's not good. And you know, I'm like, maybe you're right. <laughs> Show her Mandalorian, dude. Come on. You know, I haven't got around to Mandalorian yet. Cause I was so burnt out on, on that. And, and I think now that we've done the WandaVision thing, I'm like, okay, I've just had something else. I've watched this. Maybe we'll go back and do the Mandalorian. But then again, this whole thing with, you know, it makes it tough. Maybe. We'll see. I know. Okay. What keeps you out the most? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know if I've given it away or not. I I was going to say, like, uh, probably superhero material uh, and and probably Star Trek. I love Star Trek as an IP, as a brand, uh, and and everything it stands for. I have an encyclopedic knowledge of Star Trek, and I love – uh superheroes i love superhero films i actually think my favorite thing about superheroes is adapting superhero stories into film uh i love talking about that and what that is like um love comics but i think for me yeah superhero and and, you know people people you know like oh it's the death of movies and oh there's too much and it's suffocating it i'm like guys shut up like there a lot of these movies are so great now they're really really well thought out executed cinema they're just great popcorn movies the masses love them and they won't be around forever we had westerns for 50 years guys it's not going to be around forever eventually it'll move on and taste will change just let movies be movies and stop complaining that's my thought exactly (laughs) Back in my day, we never watched superhero movies. Yeah. I love I, Marty I, Scorsese. I'm like, dude, I can watch your films and I can watch Infinity War and go, I love movies. It's not, you know. Exactly. Like, anyway. Exactly. You know, what did we used to say watching Winter Soldier was one of the best thriller movies that we've actually seen probably in the so last good. 20 years. So good, yeah. right? And like, and and, and I think a uh, full credit where credit to you, the Russo brothers came in and gave that whole thing a, 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 a treatment that it desperately needed. Even though you know, when the first Avengers movie came out, like we all loved it, it was great. You watch it now, and it's like, wow, this is a this movie is kind of naff, like in its own way. Like, you, like it's it, the, all the colors and the texture of it was beautiful, and it's still a great kind of zany comic book movie. But I really loved how the Russos came in and really made it sharp and 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 sleek and sexy in a way and and yeah i think those guys are super talented mm. Mm, agreed 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 what turns your geek off um i thought about this and i think uh, i think you know tribalism i think you know the 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 the, the people that you know i hate i love this and therefore i hate this or uh, if you like that you can't like this or i guess really at the end of the day you know you got you, you 
DC versus Marvel. I just, you know, because if you're on any of these social groups, you know, they're, all, they're the myth is true. Like they are savagely attacking each. Obviously, I'm generalizing, not everyone, but you will just see people that really go to town on people for the. And I'm just like, guys, why are you doing this? All these things are so great, and 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 I'll I'll level with you. Like you know, we've we're now a day away uh, away from the release of the trailer. I. I'm a huge fan of uh, Zack Snyder's DC movies. I absolutely understand everyone's criticism of them, but I find a lot to like in them. And like I said, I love the Avengers movies and all these kinds of things. I'm ready for a new take on DC now. I think we can go in a new direction uh, and, and, and maybe bring it, because a lot of this stuff is inappropriate for kids and you want to make it something that you can show its kids so that they can have the same loves that we love. But everyone being at each other's throats over genre content Stop it. It's silly. Everyone, just just love what you like. Just don't mention the name Martha. You'll be fine. It'll be look, good. Uh, look, I would I would love... Can we just do an episode about the Martha scene, guys? I'll just come back and we'll just do a whole <laughs> thing about Martha. Um, Why'd you say that name? Why'd you so say funny. that name? I have a friend on Facebook who... I, I, whenever he makes a post about Zack Snyder, I always come in and comment on it, always very politely and very nicely and go like, oh, I like X, Y, Z. And uh, he goes, man, you are always right there to comment on my stuff about Zack Snyder. And I just wrote, you say anything about Snyder, Zack Snyder, I say, why did you say that name? And he was like, <laughs> okay, so we can come together. Uh, yeah, people, people, awesome. we should all love genre content, guys. Nerds rule the world now. We should enjoy it while we can. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Superman. Ooh. Superman's my fave. Superman's my guy. Superman, he is pretty darn awesome. And you were right guy. there. That's pretty That's awesome. That's it. There's is there any no particular question. iteration of Superman that you that you like like or prefer? Love them uh, or... Oh, uh, I was about to say love them all, and that's not true. Uh, but <laughs> you know what? If I'm gonna, if you've got to look right down inside my soul, what's my favorite iteration? I'm gonna say the original Max Fleischer animated cartoons. Mm-hmm. I love well the old Max Fleischer. Ca- this is a job for Superman. It's and they're beautiful. Yep. And you, I watch them now. Like I was raised on those as kids. Like my parents would put those on as entertainment. And I got to tell you, I watch them now, and I'm crying because they're just so pure. They're beautiful pure and you know lois lane is takes no next takes no crap she's you know she's a real moxie like i'm gonna get in there and get the story and clark kent's winking at the camera it's just great love it oh bravo sir bravo (laughs) thanks guys what fictional character would you not like to meet that that's you know there's probably a bigger list there i thought about it for a moment i said maybe the xenomorph but then i was like is that a character or is that a creature? So I thought if it, if the Xenomorph doesn't qualify, you know, I, I pulled dark side out of my head because we've been, you know, I've been watching that Snyder trailer and, you know, he'd crush me like a bug. So I'm going to go with dark side. Okay. There Unless I had go. Superman there with me and then, you know, maybe I'd fare better. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. As but long he as he's standing IV. in front of you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Remember dark side has those, uh, I beams that could go right around oh, Superman and it right around. Yeah. Maybe could, I just pledge you know, myself to apocalypse and just be like, I'm on your side, dude. I could totally understand that. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Thought about this. I was like, that's such an awesome question. I think I'm going to go with the tagline from 
my favorite Star Trek film, Star Trek, the motion picture, which is the human adventure is just beginning. Oh, I like that. That is very, very nice. It's a nice little positive, you know, Star Trek gives me hope when things are bad. Like, we're going to make it, guys. We're going to make it, I hope. What is your ideal geek occupation? You know, it's probably still filmmaker. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, I kind of got it. Um, but I would, I would say probably it would be uh, to be in Starfleet. Mm, that's cool. Awesome. Which era of Starfleet, though? Which era? That's a good yeah. question. I, I, think, I think we all want to be on the Enterprise D, right? We want to, we want to just be on TNG and just be on, in the resort you know, just like being in the Marriott in space. Right. <laughs> we just want to be going to the holodeck and going to 10 forward and just, you know, just having antics. There's kids on the ship. It's all good. Like it's families. It's a light, nice, light, relaxed resort atmosphere. Maybe not, you know, uh, yeah, maybe not the TNG movies because <laughs> then we start to have problems. But uh, yeah, maybe the, maybe the Enterprise D. Mm. Okay. Dude, awesome. Awesome, awesome. What geek occupation would you not like to do? Probably Starfleet, right? Because people are dying all the time. <laughs> so I thought about it and I was like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> so I want to be in Starfleet on the Enterprise D for my yes occupation and for my no occupation, I don't want to be in Starfleet on Deep Space Nine because then I'm probably going to have some horrific thing happen to me. So, yeah. <laughs> the good news, you're in Starfleet. Bad news, here's this red shirt. He's like, here's your red shirt. Oh, that's right. I don't want to be in security during the original series era because then I'm in serious trouble. Yeah, exactly. You know, you always worried about it when you used to watch the show as a kid. And it would be Captain Kirk, Dr. McCoy, and Mr. Spock and Ensign Johnson are beaming down to the planet. Which one of them is not coming back? That's right. Ramirez, go check behind that rock. (laughs) Exactly. Even Ensign Johnson, it's security guy number one. That's right. That's right. All right, Adrian, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? I am. All right. This is for all the Marvels, man. So make it count. Remember that. Got it. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? It's got to be to fly. It's got to be. Like, I know that might be seem small scale, but I mean, to fly, maybe to fly like Superman. I mean, cause I've thought if I can just fly, I'm going to get a lot of bugs in my face. I'm going to get a lot of impact. So I guess you've got to be Superman with all of his, you know, strong exterior to withstand all those pressures. You know, he's not getting flies in his eyes. So maybe to be, maybe to be a Kryptonian, then I'd be the last of my kind. So I don't know, but yeah, I think to fly would be probably my jam. That is awesome, man. That, <laughs> that would be awesome. You know, just you think about it, just be able to fly and go wherever you want. Oof. Most yeah. people seem to say like teleporting, I think, if they want powers. Mm. I'm like, guys, flying. You've got to be about the journey. Got to take the scenic no. route. That's right. Well, that's, you know, because X-Men actually ruined teleporting for me because with X-Men, you know, Nightcrawler says, I can teleport wherever I've been before or know what's there because I don't want to just teleport in the other side of there because I could be teleporting into a wall or something. It's just like that's right. And that could get very messy. That could get X- very, X- very messy. It's true. And X-Men also, you know, really 
shone a negative light on the whole indestructible thing, didn't it? Wolverine is not a happy character. <laughs> Do you, you don't you don't feel like, yeah, I want to have what that guy's having. I want to see everyone die and just live in a miserable grump for the rest of my life. And then, the, and like someone said, you know, like if you if you have Wolverine's power there is a 100% chance that one day you will get stuck somewhere that you will never escape from and you'll just be trapped there forever. And when I thought about that, I went, oh, God, <laughs> that's nightmarish. I, I mm. can honestly say that in the over 10 years we've been doing this, uh, when, and when, people, when we ask people what is their ultimate geek fantasy, no one has ever said, I want to be Wolverine. That's it. I don't nope. think anyone wants to be Logan. <laughs> nope. Nope. Totally understand that. Well, Adrian, I got some great news for you, man. You've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $19.24. I don't know what that translates to in Australian, but it's really just $50. I was going to say, you know. It's station currency, so it does decrease in value the closer you get to Earth, no matter what country you're in. So. <laughs> that's incredibly gracious my friend i'm so happy i did it <laughs> awesome. i'm on the other side and i feel good it, it's been marvelous having you here um tell us a little bit more about like where we can again once we can where we can find this film in particular and to find out like what where we can follow you what you're doing next Yes, well, hopefully you'll be able to find the film in the description of this very podcast. And if Absolutely. not, you can go to YouTube, just type in Brolga or just my name, Adrian Powers. It'll come up. You guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Adrian J Powers or just add me on Facebook if you want to talk or become my friend and we can talk about movies. And um, yeah, working on a bunch of great stuff. My writing partner and I, Kyra Bradshaw, we actually just finished... Uh, well, no, it's a little bit, it's a, it's a few months ago now. We just finished writing four episodes of the new uh, Australian Netflix show, Dive Club, which will be coming to Netflix in the US sometime this year. So that'll be where you can see the next thing we worked on. And uh, yeah, hit me up. Just love to talk about movies and science fiction and genre content, all sorts of stuff. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much, guys. It was so fun. Uh, I hope I can come back someday with more interesting, cool stuff to tell you. Oh, absolutely. I think yeah. so. I definitely think so. Well, thank you, Adrian, for being here. It's been awesome. Let's take a quick break, and we are going to be back with the Black Geek Experience. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. Although we're technically still in February, I'm actually super pumped because we have some actual new movies to talk about in March. It's just crazy to think that I could get so excited just about any new movie coming out, but this is the world we live in. So there's four big ones that I'm kind of keeping my eye on. This is Disney's animated Raya and the Last Dragon, the sci-fi thriller Chaos Walking, Zack Snyder's new Justice League cut, and Godzilla vs. Kong. And so over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to dive in a little bit deeper into these upcoming movies. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about Raya and the Last Dragon. I think the animation for this movie looks so gorgeous. And it's great to see Disney continue to diversify the types of media and characters that it offers. The first trailer I really loved, thought it looked incredible. The second trailer didn't necessarily grab me as much. I thought the humor was a little 
goofy and kind of detracted from the beauty of the cinematography and the concept. But again, a trailer is not necessarily an indication of what a movie will or won't be. So I'm super excited, especially to support actress Kelly Marie Tran, who's doing one of the voices. She played the character Rose Tico in Star Wars The Last Jedi and was treated absolutely awfully by certain factions of the Star Wars fan base. So this is a great opportunity for her. I'm super excited. Speaking of Star Wars connections, Chaos Walking stars Daisy Ridley, who of course plays Rey in Star Wars. Rey's one of my very favorite Star Wars characters, so I'm excited to see Daisy Ridley in the post-Star Wars era, what other kind of projects she's going to be doing. This movie is kind of a post-apocalyptic thriller where people's thoughts sort of show up as a simmering aura around their heads. It's weird, it's hard to describe. If you watch the trailer, it makes more sense, but... Since we're kind of living in a post-apocalyptic time now with COVID and all the things that come with that, this movie seems like it would be timely. This is a movie that I think has been kind of stuck in development limbo for a while, so that's not always a good indication, but hopefully the final product will be worth checking out. And that's it for Box Office Buzz this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog on the ESO Podcast website. My name is Mark McCray, and I'm the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. I'm Dan Klink, co-host of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives features programming trends from the 1966 television season all the way through the last era of the early digital age of the 1990s. On the show, if it's animated, we talk about it. Order your signed copy today at tbsool.com. And listen to the podcast at esonetwork.com and all podcast platforms. Hey there, welcome back to Earth Station One. Before we get started on the next segment, let's say hey to our sponsor, and that, of course, is Inked Marketing. Inked Marketing's mission is to place your comic book business in the correct position in the marketplace for increased visibility and growth. They provide marketing solutions for comic book creators, artists, writers, shops, podcasters, and cosplayers. Come see what they can do for your Kickstarter or comic book shop. Visit www.inkedmarketing.com and ask for a solutions guide. That's www.inkedmarketing.com. And now take it away, Mr. Mike. Yes. Well, it's February. It's Black History Month. And we thought it would be uh, just um, kind of interesting to talk about unique experiences, the ways race intersects with geek culture. And we've got some a great crew to join us, uh, good friends of the station here. We've got uh, Keith and Phyllis Johnson here. Hello. Hello. Howdy. Glad you guys can join us. And we also have writer Robert Jeffrey with us. Hey, how's everything going? I, uh, everything is great, right? <laughs> um, well, um, I want to get right into it. And, and cause yeah, we, you only have a short amount of time here. So, and I know we could talk about this a lot, right? So, um, but uh, I think we'll start with you and we'll let ladies go first. Phyllis, what, can you tell us a little bit about your, your experience growing up being geeky? Well, I think I was, <laughs> I grew up, well, I don't know if, how geeky I was. I think it was, it is because I have, I grew up with six brothers. I'm the only girl. We had one Ooh. TV and Star Trek was on all the time. So either I was going to start watching Star Trek and enjoying it, or I wasn't going to watch TV. So that was probably my um, introduction into science fiction. And of course, Star Wars, when that came out, um, 
And I would just say I was influenced. And also my mother really got into Star Trek. So we were kind of a very unconventional family in that way. Um, And then when Keith and I started dating, found out he was a Trekkie. So that kind of was a natural progression into more Star Trek, right? Um, Star Star Trek bringing people together. Exactly, exactly. Um, Comics for your brothers. Yeah, and my brothers were also heavily into comics. My mom was heavily into comics. And I mean, like X-Men fighting, that type of comics. So it was just part of growing up and I didn't even we didn't think of it as anything different it's just you know back then you go to that was our Friday afternoon uh treat you go to the comic store you got to buy comics brought them home everybody went to their individual spaces and read the comics and that was just part of the culture I mean I didn't think anything of it one way or the other so it sounds like you were just getting it through osmosis really not that not, you were there was was there anything that you singled out was there anything in particular that you singled out you're like I I really am interested in this no, you know what? I actually got into the Archie and Casper comics. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I have a lot of Archie thing. comics myself. Yeah. So that was my big thing. Like, um, and my, my, I have a twin brother so and, and a younger brother, and they were really into like X-Men, all the DC comics and all that stuff. And they were in phenomenal artists. And so that was like their, you know, they loved uh, drawing a lot of the comic characters. Uh, I didn't get into X-Men and all the other, I guess, more serious comics and shows until much later i probably when we started dating and I, they started having more of the movies and so forth well if you were an archie i bet you were also into little audrey and hot yes stuff. yes yes those are yes <laughs> and baby huey yes baby i love baby <laughs> huey see that's it <laughs> anything that was too daunting or too much action uh would freak me out as a kid it was just like any violence freaked me out but i got over that once i got older and start watching movies and you know so forth so that was kind of my introduction and my initial foray into, I guess, comics and science fiction. I didn't have a name for it. I just know what we liked. In my- gotcha. It was just part of pop culture. Yes. Uh, Keith, what about you? What about What's your origin story there? Probably uh, a very typical. My uh, I'm the youngest of three in uh, my family, which I was raised. And I do not remember when I first watched Star Trek. I can't tell you. Like, I can't tell you the day I first saw it. I can't tell you that my I can't tell you my introduction to Lost in Space or Land of the Giants or Twilight Zone or Outer Limits or um, Alfred Hitchcock Presents or Thriller by Boris Karloff. I can't tell you because it was always there. I've always been watching Star Trek. I've always been watching science fiction because my two older brothers are are big science fiction. So for me, it's it's been a part literally of the atmosphere since I've been able to comprehend television and. and watch things, read things. And coupled with that, my first love is astronomy. It was fun. It was the first thing I really mm-hmm. fell in love with. I just, I just, I mm-hmm. love everything. Space and stars. So I read about astronomy as young as I could as a kid. I used to have those awesome posters. I'm still disappointed we're not there. And those awesome posters of the, of the donut space station that rotates that gives you gravity like 2001. <laughs> and I swore, I thought by now we would have domed colonies on the moon. And I thought we would have spaceships to Mars and Saturn. And so that coupled with Star Trek, the, the real life and then the fantasy just got me into science fiction and fantasy. And, and I just love everything about science fiction because it's the possibilities what we can be. It's also lessons in what we shouldn't be. Um, I think it's in, ironic in these times. I think most of us grew up watching science fiction probably know the science fiction of the 60s and 70s. And it was always about pandemics and 
bacteriological warfare and the Andromeda strain. And there was always some scientist somewhere who was creating some bacteria that gets out and destroys the population. And so I think the cautionary tales of science fiction are great. The social studies of science fiction are great. The, just the fantasy of science fiction is great. So it, it's been a part of me. And I will say uh, quickly to tie this into discussion, when I was growing up, being a black science fiction and fantasy and, and comic book fan was not cool. It was not cool at all. Uh, you were labeled a certain way. It was, oh, you're the weird guy who watches Star Trek. Now, certain things were okay, like Spider-Man. Maybe the Spider-Man cartoon was okay. And maybe it was okay to watch Superman. But being a total science fiction, fantasy, and comic book fan when I was growing up was not considered cool. Uh, I sometimes find it ironic and a little funny that when we started having the rise of people like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and you know the tech mm-hmm. guys, and then, of course, the... the, the <laughs> the rise of the movies that are making billions of dollars and then people, everyone from Chadwick Boseman to Halle Berry get into it. Now it's kind of acceptable. So sometimes in my more, not cynical moments, but sometimes I kind of feel like that old joke about the guy who likes the rock band when nobody else likes it. And then when it's cool, you're like, oh, now here you come. (laughs) And see, I didn't have that experience at all. I guess, I don't know. In my Uh, house, it was just typical. Yeah, well, my house was fine, but in my life, it was not cool at all. And I and I think that's, and I think sometimes, Phil's and I talk about that, I think there's a difference between me having been a black man into this and her being a black woman into it. Because when I was growing up, there was a whole thing about, well, you know, were you cool enough? You know, were you macho enough? And so me just saying, I watch Star Trek, I was like, seriously, what, what kind of black man are you watching, you know, watching Star Trek? Hmm. Yeah, I watch Star Trek. So I think things like that have kind of changed. Yeah, I think that's true in some extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can I can tell you that, you know, I was labeled a nerd, you know, mm-hmm. growing up too and I was picked on a lot as well. Yeah. Um and so I think um I think that there's part of that that's universal, especially around that time, and right. which is, doesn't exist as much now. I mean, there's still bullying. Yeah. There's still a lot of bullying. Right. Um but uh so Robert, what about you? What's uh what's your origin story when it comes to nerdy culture? So when um when I was growing up, I'm, I'm from the south side of Chicago, and at least in our neighborhoods, we uh, we unfortunately didn't have like comic book stores. We didn't have the bookstores. We always had to, you know, go out to the you know to the mall, <laughs> the outlying mall, or the you know suburban areas to to kind of get that stuff. But my mom actually got my brother and I uh, introduced into comic books by going uh, with this. Uh, this weird place called drugstores. Yeah. <laughs> they used to sell comic books, comic books on spinner racks. So, yeah. and I'm a, you know, or, or in like the newsstand section. So I, I'm an eighties baby. So for me, I got into comics maybe around like the late eighties, early nineties. So for me, it was Jim Lee, Chris Claremont, X-Men, mm. you know, I, I got the first issue of their run on that book. And I thought I was going to go to college on it. Speculation market. Right. Um, you know, amazing Spider-Man, uh, growing up with Batman, the animated series, uh, X-Men, the animated series and, and so forth and so forth. So what kind of, that was kind of my entry point in addition to, and if this was mentioned earlier, Archie comic books, the <laughs> digest size comic books. Yeah. I used to love like Archie. That's why I like watching Riverdale is kind of weird <laughs> to me because I was like, yeah, nobody was um nobody was like murdering people in the comics that I was reading. It's like Archie, Archie got hardcore. Uh, I need to I need to read the reboot. So so for me, <laughs> you're reading the Archie 
uh, X-Men, Amazing Spider-Man, whatever comics I can get my hands on, uh, in addition to the animated series that were popping up in the 90s, because like the 90s was like a big renaissance for um, animated series. And then also, uh, my mom and my dad were divorced, and my dad lived in Atlanta, and he shipped up a box of comic books. And I remember this to this day, uh, this kind of ties into what we're talking about for, you know, Black History Month and being a Black geek. He sent me all of the, my brother and I, all of the first issues of the Milestone Media books. So we had Static. Yes. Kids, it's not Static Shock, it's Static. Yes. Static with the Malcolm X cap. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Icon with, it should have been called Icon and Rocket, but it was Icon. Yeah. And then you had the Blood Syndicate and then you had Hardware. Oh, man. And then after that, it was Zombie, Shadow Cabinet. But that... That more than anything else, even X-Men, those books more than anything else helped me as a comic book fan and as a writer to realize I I could have a shot at doing this because it's one of those things, and you hear this quite often from uh, just being straight up, uh, people who are not represented in the comic book industry as much as... um, white men (laughs) just being straight up like it helps to see people who look like you working behind the scenes and one of the things that i saw when i checked the bullpen of the letters page of the milestone books was were people who looked like me there were black women there were women of other races there were men of other races it was it was crazy so i mean it was crazy in a good way for me so that actually more than anything marvel or dc related got me involved i mean got me into gave me the drive to want to write comic books and actually science fiction. I mean, and also Star Trek was a big staple in our house too. Um, Shout out to D space nine, greatest Star Trek show ever made (laughs) and all that. So, so, you know, my fandom and my, my love of being a geek or origin stories are like Star Trek, early Marvel DC, but especially milestone media. Yeah, that's awesome. I I noticed that uh, with a lot of you guys uh, talked specifically about, I mean, the names I heard more than anything were Star Trek, uh x-men twilight zone these are properties that celebrate diversity right these were so and i don't think that's a coincidence right yeah no not well no i'm sorry sorry (laughs) go ahead robert no well i was gonna say no i mean it's you you get a sense that we're there it's not it's to see once again somebody that looks like me (laughs) on the bridge of the enterprise with Picard being the captain and all that. And then Jordi LaForge, the head of engineering, like uh, science is not like, I'm a huge like literature and English guy, but um, being able to see somebody in a position like that was very empowering for me. So, and that has always been Trek, you know, no matter what some of the fans nowadays may tell you (laughs) about the new Trek, but yeah, that's, it was inclusive. Inclusivity was, was huge for me with all of the properties that you just mentioned. I think, uh, and I think specifically Nichelle Nichols, right? She, she in, mm-hmm. in the original series uh, was quite known for, and she talks about this all the time. And it's, it's it, as many times as I hear it, it doesn't get old because it's so relevant. The fact that she was frustrated because her character didn't do a lot and she was thinking about quitting. But um, I think she talked to MLK, right? Who convinced her right. not to quit because it was too important what but she was doing. And I completely agree. I think it's that representation that we don't think about because Terry, I can imagine as an actress, she wanted a richer part, but she didn't get the social significance of it until she had that conversation and that little brown girls could see somebody who looks like them and, you know, science fiction 
show and see and see the art of possibility like okay this is possible for me and i think that's why uh, x-men when i finally started watching the movies and getting into it resonated with me because you had all these people with superpowers they all look different and it kind of reminded you growing up like we i grew up when we were it wasn't during segregation but it was like when we first started integration and just how you felt sometimes being the only person uh, and then what it felt like when you had other people who looked like you who joined class, especially if you were in like high, high academic classes. So I felt that way with X-Men where you had a variety of people from different backgrounds, different superpowers coming together for a common cause. And I think that may be why it resonated with me as a, as a, as a person of color, as a woman of color and seeing women in really strong roles. I really like seeing that. Was that something that you were aware of prior to, I would say, like, you know, having it like sort of acknowledging the representation? Like you felt like there was something that was missing or was it just something that, you know, once you saw it, you were like, no, no, this makes, you know. I'll tell you, initially, I didn't think I didn't think of a one or the other. It's one of those where I think Keith was like, oh, there's a new X-Men. And my, bro-, you know, like I wasn't really that much into X-Men. And then when I went to see it, I was like, oh, my gosh, they have, you know, a lady, you know, African woman and people who look different. And so then I started really following the story. And more recently, what really got like one thing I really liked about Discover, I hope I'm not going ahead to, is that you have a, a woman of color who is like a main, a key character in the show and she's rich and she's not like monolithic, which all good or all bad. She's a a complete person. So that's the first time I felt like with science fiction, something really resonated with me and I saw myself in it. With the X-Men, I just saw people, just different people being pulled into a storyline, right? And that was, that was interesting. Yeah, the, uh, um, uh, Keith, what about, what about you as far as, recognizing that on your on your side uh for me absolutely and i think there's a couple of things there that are interesting for me absolutely my my late father was born in a place called normandy texas which nobody in texas knows of it walks a happy Texas, and he dealt with racism and jim crow on a level he was he was actually one of a group of people that almost nobody knows his history anymore my dad was experimented on when he was drafted in world war ii when he was in basic training in Louisiana for World War II, the U.S. Army was testing new gas masks, and they didn't tell anybody. They tested on black soldiers or the colored soldiers at the time. And my father was sent to a chamber to test the gas mask. Well, not only was the Army testing the gas mask, but they pumped actual chlorine gas into the chamber. Mm. The gas mask that my dad was wearing was defective, and he inhaled a lung full, a lung full of chlorine gas and never fought in World War II. He got a medical discharge. His lungs were, were ruined for the rest of his life. Then my dad moved from, uh, when he got through that, he had to make his way after having to get out of the Army. He moved to Fort Worth, Texas, which is my hometown. And he tells me how when he first tried to vote the first time, he was threatened with being lynched, straight up. They're like, we're going to hang you if you try to lynch. Then he, he, he didn't back down. Then he went back, and then one time they said, okay, if you can vote if you can read this passage from Shakespeare. My dad had an eighth grade education because he had to drop on school to work family for people. And then he'd go back and they'd say, well, you can vote if you can prove you've been living in Fort Worth for 10 years. And then he'd go back and they said, well, you can vote if you can tell us what your bank account is, if you have this money. So when I was growing up, everything that I did, everything that I did was, was uh, I'm the youngest of three brothers that was raised. But everything my brothers and I did was something new and wonderful. Everything. So if I went to an integrated school, 
and the teacher wasn't racist to me, that was a different world for my father. If I went to the store and people didn't treat me like I was a criminal, that was a different world for the father. And it was part of the world I still grew up. So when I would watch things like Star Trek, it was absolutely new and different. And it was noticeable to see a black man on screen who was not a criminal, who was not a servant, who was not relief. For example, I grew up loving, loving, loving Three Stooges and things like that. And I love cartoons. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, like if you look at Tom and Jerry and all those cartoons, well, there's just the truth of the matter. One of the oldest jokes in comic book history is when some, a cartoon history, is when somebody gives a character a stick of dynamite and it blows up and their face turns blackface. You know, mm-hmm. they big lips, they get the thing. And there would, there would even be a joke, or I think Bugs Bunny and them, they would go, oh my, tattletale gray. And they were doing Rochester from the Jack Benny show. Yeah, that's the stuff that I grew up with. And I love the Three Stooges, but I remember many times there was always, there was a joke so there'd be a black character. And the, and the thing that would drive me crazy was the black character would be the comic relief, God ain't scared. And he'd always do the real big Buckeyes. You know, those are the kind of things that I grew up watching. So when I started watching Star Trek, to this day, I clearly remember the episode called Court. It's the episode where Captain Kirk is on trial for possibly killing this guy called Ben Finney. And I was a young kid, maybe six, watching that episode. And they go to the Starbase, and there's a black man that's the commander of the Starbase. And I noticed that. I'm like, wow, you did not see that. You just didn't see it. And not only was this man a commander, but then he says a line to this day I remember, even though that's been 50 years ago. He says, look, Jim, not a million man, not, a, not one man in a million could you, do what you and I have done command the starship. That was a big deal in the 60s to hear a black man saying, I commanded a starship in this fictional show, and he was a commander of a star base, but meant he was so good he was promoted. And something you didn't see often, he was commanding a white guy. That was so rare. And so that that stayed with me and it stays with me to this day. And then you get Dr. Uh, Dr. Daystrom for M5. Right. The guy who created both computer. There's a Daystrom inter- there's a Daystrom Institute in Star Trek lore. And to this day, they talk about Daystrom in the same breath as Newton and Einstein and Zephyr Cochran. That was huge for me back in the day. And it was just, it was normal in Star Trek. And I give them credit for that. I know I'm going on long, I apologize. But, and the one right. thing I will say that Phyllis and I talk about is so different is I absolutely grew up in a world of racism and prejudice and, and bad interpretation. But I had a show where even though they didn't show a black starship captain, they had guys who were captains. But that world was great for me. I think for Phyllis, it was a world in which there wasn't a female captain in Star Trek yet. So whether you're white or black, there was no female captains in Star Trek. And then, of course, you got the final episode, Turnabout and True, where Kirk issues that cringeworthy line about Janice Lester, which remember he said her life could have been as full as anyone's if mm. only. And so the struggle continued, I think, for Phyllis and Lynn, and you didn't get a female captain in the Federation or a female captain of color until the Star Trek movie, The Voyage Home. And that's a long time after the series. But it was an important, that's why one reason I think Star Trek came to this day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Robert, I noticed you were nodding all through that similar experience. Oh, I mean, he was just dropping like Star Trek knowledge. He said, <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, like I, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's Star Trek is definitely like that's we can use that as an example all day. 
you know, for me, even in, you know, I, I remember clear as day because I, I watched The Next Generation growing up, but I didn't watch it as much as I did Day Space Nine. And I remember the night, I think I was the only one in my house who watched the premiere of that show. And when I saw, um, you know, Benjamin Sisko dealing with Captain Picard in the way that he, he does, yeah. you, you understand what his his reasoning or his, you know, the reason why he's doing that is because of the Battle of Wolf 359. Yep. You know, he was Locutus um, and had a hand in killing his wife. You know, that's that. But as a kid, see, I grew up in a household where my mom would – she would be like, I used to run with the Panthers back on the south side of Chicago. I, I could have been Nat Turner's wife, you know, that type of stuff. Or my dad, you know, talking about, you know, being like soul brother number number one <laughs> up in New York City. And it was so we had a kind of a sense of kind of our history, you know, and, and all of that. So when I was watching this black man respond to this white captain who is like pretty much second to Kirk at this point is in level of importance. That was not lost on me as a kid. Like, you know, back in the day, you you couldn't, they wouldn't allow that. That would not, I mean, that he couldn't, having a black man be able to have him uh, be upset, you know, with a white captain of that, of that level was huge. And he should have been allowed to do that from the get-go because he was a human being who had a decent gripe, you know, with, with Picard, you know, so, and at the end of the episode, you know, they, they, they dapped it up and said, we're both awesome, you know, all the good stuff. So, <laughs> but, um, it, so that was huge. Um, and even going now into discovery, are we, are we allowed to do spoilers for that or? Um, um sure. Just, you yeah, you have a heads up. I mean, okay. So let me want three, two, one, <laughs> Captain Michael Burnham, uh, that, the fact that it's taken this long to have an on-screen black woman captain was huge. That was huge <laughs> for me. And I, I literally shed tears when that happened because I had been waiting for that. I had been waiting for that because when, when we talk about black geekdom, it always seems like black men are put first. Everybody else comes secondary to that. And and the larger scheme of things, like I love the fact that Jordy LaForge's mom was a captain, but she died off screen. <laughs> you know, that's like that. That was one thing. But to see Burnham have a three season arc to get to this point was, I'm sorry, that's right up there with any other captain who has kind of dealt with, you know, whatever, you know, any other captain has come before. So that was kind of a huge thing. So. Yeah, Star Trek is huge with with the representation. I think even with Deep Space Nine, sometimes the producers actually wish that they had done more with like, and sometimes there are shortcomings with Trek. They actually felt that they should have done more with LGBTQ issues. Yes, yes. You know, when it comes to Deep Space Nine, but out of all of the fandoms and another fandom called Star, and it ends with wars. Trek, <laughs> Star Trek has always had. It's it, when I want in that in one of the Star Trek has always had more representation has been representation at the forefront versus something like like Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars only started doing that when they added Billy D, and then when they you know with the more recent run of movies, I'm happy that we're here. But one of the reasons I can never really get into Star Wars is that it was a bunch of like white British guys you know, <laughs> running around in space, and, and until Billy D popped up in the third one. <laughs> I was just like, I, I couldn't, I mean, until the second one, I couldn't rock with it like that. Trek was, 
Trek actually had people who looked like me on the south side of Chicago, and that's huge for me. You know, so yeah, Robin, if I may, and I want, I do want to ask Phyllis to chime in on this. And, and Mike, I think this is a thing that we talk about, and it's you know, and I will tell you, it's not just being black, it's not just being a man, it's being, it's being, I would say, gay, it's being Indian, it's being Asian, it's being South Asian, because, and I think this goes to all kinds of things. You you can be white and feel this way too. One of the things Robert said that I we talked about was frustrating is when you're the only one in a property. It is so frustrating. For example, I will I will I will tell you this straight up. This is this is honestly what happened being a black person. Some of the characters you look at in Marvel comics, like for example, I love, love, love Luke Cage back when he was Power Man. But I will tell you, when I was growing up, one of the things that used to frustrate you was when you would see a description of the character, they would say, He's a streetwise man from whatever. <laughs> oh gosh, we go again. You know? And that's okay. Not every black person was a former criminal. And that is not and that's that's not attacking it. But there were so many things where it was he was a street mized man. Or on the flip side, which sounds really weird, I would get tired when a black character would get introduced and the black character was a super genius, but didn't seem to like go out on dates. So we would either be like you could either be like a criminal who was reformed, or you could be the comic relief. Or even mm-hmm. if you were like, I hate to say this, like the show Family Matters with the Steve Urkel character. That drove me crazy because mm-hmm. you would get tired of a character either being pure streetwise or a black character would be super intelligent. But sometimes we go, why does this guy never go out on a date? You know, it's like he doesn't, he's not, he's not truly well-rounded. He's not a fool. He's yeah. not a whole character. Really I think, and what would you think about this? No, I think, I, no, I think that, mm-hmm. I think, and I have to look at mm-hmm. it from whoever's producing it. You're trying to, I mean, it's, there's a, to some degree, you have a responsibility to try to show something good about this person. And, but I think mm-hmm. people are more complicated and complex than that. And I think yeah. when you try to show somebody in a very monolithic, one-dimensional way, you kind of go in the wrong direction. I think that's why in Discovery, I like the, Captain's uh, uh, Burnham's character because you've seen the evolution of her yeah. and as a as a, a black female I would tell you initially I had issues with the way they portrayed her character because I was like wait a minute why is she not captain because I want her to be a captain yeah. and so I took mm-hmm. it a little and I had to stay with the story because once they they made her very rich they gave her an incredible background and as you follow the story you things made sense but initially I was like well why is she start, you know why is she second shouldn't she be in a better role? But then I had to realize, no, she, there's a story here and she's going to evolve and seeing that evolution and getting like, uh, Philippa captain, what was her name? The Georgia, who was, became one of my favorites, right? Um, just mm-hmm. showing the richness of those those women of color and how they had, you know, they were complicated. They had tough backgrounds and they how they grew. I, I felt like that was one of the most rewarding shows I've seen recently. You know, Mike, I, yeah. one of the things that Philip and Robert are saying, I think Robert made, said this and Phyllis just followed up on, which is that Michael Burnham, to my point, she wasn't perfect. She was mm-hmm. flawed. No. And she was real. And mm-hmm. are y'all familiar with the term magical Negro, Mike? Mm, no. Okay, uh, I'll throw out one movie, The Legend of Bagger Vance. <laughs> okay. The yeah. term magical Negro is what we're talking about. The term magical mm-hmm. Negro was the thing that was going on where the mo- the black person was the white person's best friend. The black mm. person was always the really nice, cool person who, again, I hate to say it, sometimes we watch movies and I tell my wife, I go, does this woman or this black man not have a life they only seem to serve, exist to serve the white people they didn't date they didn't have a life outside of being the best friend and the legend of bagger vance with will smith is legendary in the black community it is literally he's literally magical 
And that's where the term mm-hmm. came from, magical Negro, because he was magical. But the term goes to his personality. He was basically, he was so happy to help the white people. But like, what, where's your life? You know, like, you know, where's, you know where's your life in this? I'm going to throw out a really, really, really weird uh, side thing. You know, the, the series Sliders? Yeah. Okay, Keith, get out of my head because I was just about to talk about this. I was just like, no, 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 like, no, seriously, like, okay. So I have a list over here of like different things where with great like black representation. Sliders is at the top of that list. Yeah, it is. And you know, you can you can say what you're going to say, but like, I literally like, I think I threw it at you. I said sliders. Am I? No, no, I said sliders. And that's the thing was, is you see the representation growing because for me, before you know, before Star Trek, there was another science fiction show that had a black character, and that was Land of the Giants, and there was a black man on the crew. Now, the thing was, though, he wasn't the captain. Well, you know that at that time, that was sometimes that was the best you can get, which is why uh, the Commodore Stone in uh, the Star Trek episode Court Martial was such a big deal to me because he was a commander. The brother in Land of the Giants was one of the crew. He wasn't the commander, but again, that was like Uhura. You you took what you could get. And so it was in stages. Then we wanted, so you'd have a, like Nichelle Nichols, she was on screen, but now you want her to have a role. And then you want her not just to have a role that's important. You want her to be fully fleshed because then, and it's, and sometimes it was hard for white people to understand because sometimes I would be just as angry if a white person was perfect, a black person was perfect as if they were nothing but a criminal, because that's not the, like Robert said, that's not the truth of the character and then you wanted them to have a full life. And I remember, although I liked the character Remy and Sliders, there was one episode um, that there was an episode that upset me because they went to a planet where basically it had to deal with the thing with white people were still in charge. It was pretty. It was a modern day Jim Crow society. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, you're always going to have to have a, an episode like that. And that was fine. But sometimes when they did that with those characters you would always have that quote-unquote important show, which is good because you cannot sidestep the issue of race. But then other times, you'd see other movies and shows where a character like Remy wasn't as central as Remy was to the show, and they may only get that episode where it's a show about racism. And then the rest of the time, the character's pushed to the back. And so mm. it's been a long, yeah. slow progression. And then I think like with Phyllis, like I said, Robert and I can talk, and Robert, we're older than you, so I grew up watching the original series, but you know, Robert mm-hmm. and I can sit here and look at black men who were captains and commanders. Mm-hmm. Phyllis didn't have that unless that until Michael Burnham came along, which is a completely different thing. And yeah. I'm, I know I'm going on, but another thing, Mike, we talk about for in terms of sometimes in the black community, and I think another thing Robert says is so important. It's not if you don't come from a group, you can't represent the group fully. And it's not because you're racist or prejudiced. It's just you don't know. I will tell you in the black community, there was a huge discussion why was Avery Brooks' character a commander and not a captain? That was a big deal. And that was a problem back in the day. And it was literally, how come a black man got to be a commander? Why can't he be a full captain? That was a problem because every other person in the history of Star Trek series, other than Burnham, which, which is cool art, but all the other captains, uh, Kirk and Picard, later Janeway, and then going back in history, Archer, they started out at captains. But Cisco started out as commander. And while that was a growth, a lot of black people, and I certainly felt this way, why is the man a commander? Why can't they start him out as a captain? And if you're white in the 90s, that probably never would have crossed your mind. And for I know the producers of Star Trek, it didn't cross their mind because they said yeah. we show growth. But for me as a black man back in those days, that was that was that was really important. And a lot of black people thought, why didn't he start out as a captain? And that's why when we talk about representation, 
as Robert, I think you talked about this. It can't just be people who are in mm-hmm. front of the camera. And I, and I work in corporate America, and I'm real big on this. Like, you yeah. have to have people from not not only different races, different parts of the country, mm-hmm. different parts of the world. You just need mm-hmm. people who have a very diverse sense of what you know, what whatever it is you're thinking about, because that's how those things get mixed. Missed. If you don't have women, if you don't have people from different parts of the country, if you don't have people who just think differently, you'll. You, I think the intentions are fine. You don't they think you're doing anything wrong. You. It just wouldn't. Like there's some things that would never occur to me. Right. I'm not from the north. I'm not from. You know. I didn't grow up in Chicago. So maybe if you're talking about a mm-hmm. show that is representing Chicago, I shouldn't be the only person yeah. in the room trying to represent that. And I think that's a lesson across just many shows where they don't even when we like we talk about sometimes mm-hmm. when they show people from texas and other oh, shows gosh. and the accent is completely yeah. wrong oh, boy. but if you're not from texas <laughs> you could care less it's you just not a southern and you're like why are you lumping all the southern accents together they're different right mm-hmm. and so i think that's where you touch on that whereas if you know people who made the show they thought okay we're showing this evolution you know, us looking at it saying, wait a minute, hold on, why didn't they do that? And they're probably like, well, I never even thought about this. I thought this was great. So that's the part where I just think you have you have to have people represented in different roles throughout companies, throughout movies, throughout, you know, like anything you're doing to make sure that you kind of consider other, you know, viewpoints. Because I think it's well, easy there, to miss. Well, there's even, and, and kind of to piggyback on that, I got two examples. Uh, when I watched the first season of Luke Cage, um, there's a scene where um, there are two, it's um, Misty Knight and her captain are interviewing um, Mariah, you know, the um, uh, um, Alfred Woodard's character. And at some point, somebody in there mentions a sorority. Like, it's just some kind of casual mention of the sorority experience. And as a Black person watching that, I was just like, they had to have some brothers and sisters in that room writing the speculative fiction show. The second example that I have, and and it adds to the experience that you're watching. I mean, even though you're like in this fantastical world of superpowers and just superpowers, (laughs) that's that's a huge thing. The other thing was when I was watching Lovecraft Country, um, everybody knows about Emmett Till. But if you're from Chicago, you know about Emmett Till. That's the kid who went down south from Chicago and he never came back. Right. Um, so there's a part in there when they have the, and I, I think this is from, I haven't read the original book, but when they have that scene of his funeral, first of all, when they introduce him in there, almost lost it because I know what was going to happen to him. Uh, but when they have that scene, yeah. you know, of his funeral and it's hot and it's muggy and you can smell his death. That is, it's a huge, it's for me, it was a huge thing being from Chicago and also being somebody who knows our, you know, somebody who studies our history. Once again, being set in this world, this fantastical Lovecraftian tale that we're telling. Um, But I do not think that that would have been told if you didn't have us in the writer's room. Last example, because I'm watching Stargate um, right now. I've never watched Stargate before. There's a scene where Tilk is being chased through the woods by police with dogs mm. that mm. irritated me mm. that irritated me and it was one of those things where you without knowing the optics of this from a perspective of somebody like me i was just like they just chasing this brother through the <laughs> through the woods like he's being chased by and i was just like but we're dealing with the show about traveling to other planets why do i have to see this like sweated up black man running from the police you know in an episode so so little things like that um can be 
you know, taken care of when you have better representation behind the scenes and also talented people. There are so many, you know, Mike, we see everybody at these shows. There's so many talent, talented people who can contribute to these shows and to these big publishers and to, you know, just telling these fantastical stories, but from different viewpoints. And it's, it just, it's an amazing thing. Um, but yeah, but shout out to Rembrandt from Sliders. He's the only original, the only original from the Fab Four to make it to the last season. That's yeah. true. That's so, true. The black man didn't die until the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> and that used to be a thing. Remember when every time we say, okay, how long is it going to be before the black person oh, yeah. dies, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We've gotten past that. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah. they're going to. So it's funny. Huh? Yeah. Mike, are you familiar with that joke, by the way? Yes. Okay, because I, I think we might have talked about it before. Because I went... Yeah, we went, especially... Yeah, I watched Walking Dead. Okay, yeah. It was such an important thing. And in the Black community, Night of the Living Dead, the fact that the brother lived... Yes! A shot was very frustrating. Oh, yeah. Very frustrating. And yeah. I remember years ago, when we went to see Jurassic Park, uh, I went with my wife and her twin brother. We were sitting at Jurassic Park. You remember the ending, the beginning of Jurassic Park, where literally the great, the great white hunter, he even had the hat on, and he was standing yeah. there when the Velociraptor they were pulling out of the cage, right? You remember who got who scrambled up on the cage? The really old black man who mm-hmm. fell through the cage and got killed. And I swear it wasn't, it was not rehearsed. Literally, Phyllis's brother turned to me, and I turned to him. We said, "Why the black man gotta die first? It was the first thing, and it was a big deal, and it became a thing because if you remember later on in a movie that I just absolutely adore, which I think is B-movie greatness, Deep Blue Sea, about the intelligent sharks <laughs> with Samuel yep. Jackson and LL Cool J, there's a line in the movie where LL Cool J literally is trying to, he's running for his life, and he goes, black people never survive, things like that, <laughs> because that was a thing, and it was... And like, like Robert and Phyllis are saying, it's not that people, we all have prejudices. Like I wouldn't write for women all the time. I wouldn't write, I know a whole bunch of gay people. I wouldn't presume to write for LBG, LGBT stories fully because I don't know what people don't know. You're a white man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume to write for you or a white man from Boston. You know, like all I know, honestly, is Park the Khan, Hobbit Yard, you know, <laughs> that old horrible joke. Oh, you got it. You got it. You got it. That's fine. <laughs> And I I think that the frustration, no matter what group you are, Asian or Black or woman or Mm -hmm. physically challenged, people who are in power feel like you're trying to take something from them. It's almost like, I win, you lose. No, it's that you don't know my story and I don't know your story. And so we all have to be able to tell our stories. And it's not like we're trying, you're trying to take something. You just want to be included. And like uh, like Robert was saying, you know, for me as a black man growing up in Texas in the late 60s and early 70s, the, the, the vision of a black man running from dogs and police, it, it, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And you got to be really careful when you handle that. And that's why sometimes when they would just throw stuff like that out there, I'm like, ugh, uh, it's well am i and as and kind of as a right you know from the writer's perspective um if you don't have any black people in the room just do some homework and there are obvious i mean there is one episode in particular from the next generation where they literally went to planet africa and it just it was it was one of these yeah it was one of those things where i was just like okay so if you want to now, if you wanted to study like Afrofuturism, you can definitely do that. But see, I my thing is like do the homework because right. as a writer, as as a writer myself, 
I I need to be able to write for everybody. Right. Like I I've like I've written for John Stewart, you mm-hmm. know, Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. But if a pitch ever, and one of the things that DC Comics, when we when I went to the workshop that they taught us was we want you to be able to write anything if we give you mm-hmm. if we if you give your deadline to finish something up. So I had to I would have had to learn how to write for a Superman. Nightwing, whatever. So, but in my case, I mean, if I needed to do the homework, then I would have to do that. You know, I would, I would, you know, just as a writer, you research, you don't, and if I don't know how to write for different genres or different things, I don't get paid. Mm -hmm. And that's like, so I can't just always be the go-to black writer. I will definitely, I will definitely write about my experience and that and experiences and within like sci-fi and fantasy, but I also need to do the homework if I'm asked to, you know, write for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and that was the thing that I would always see when it came to the sci-fi properties, especially, like I said, with that Stargate episode, and you, you guys didn't do the homework into that. Right. And that's, that's just one of those things, but I do see, because I follow a lot of writers, um, black, you know, writers of color, like they're, we're, we're writing um, like sci-fi fantasy uh, crime dramas, just, there's just so much stuff. Like, I think I looked up and saw that, um, there's a show that I'm watching called Big Sky and, um, a black woman who directed episodes of Picard directed a crime drama called Big Sky. And I love that. Like we have just know that we have just as much versatility as anybody else. Mm. And in many cases we can probably do it better. You know, if you just give us that shot, but yeah, that's, um, just do your homework. Like I always feel that one of the best black Panthers was written by a white guy, Al Ewing. Mm. Like, and I know that would, he's, he, he, he wrote a, a hell, hella good uh, black Panther and he just did his homework, you know? So that, that's always one of the things that I kind of look at as a creator, as a writer, you know, don't just, don't, don't just stop at Wikipedia. I just yeah. don't make Please a, don't. You know, that's a valid point. And I think that's true for anything you're approaching where that's not your area of expertise because it's an opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. And you kind of take that approach mm-hmm. to any new thing. You Whether it's like I work in corporate America, if I'm given a new assignment, to your point, the first thing you do is do your research. It's okay to go to the internet, but then you want to go and actually interview people and mm-hmm. kind of really, you know, read books and do things because you're right. Everybody can grow. I mean, part of this whole you know, life we live is about growing and stretching. And you don't know everything. So, and that's okay, but you can yeah, definitely learn what you don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Phyllis, I want to thank you too, for bringing up the fact that, and you did too, uh, as well, Robert, when you first mentioned, you know, you not only inspired by the folks on the screen and in and the characters in the comics, but when you got those milestone books, it was just as important to you, if not more so that it was written absolutely. and and drawn by, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people like yourself as well. Um, so unfortunately we're getting, we're getting at the end. Um, but I, but real quick, I just want to go around and, and, and just ask the simple question, are things better? And what do you guys think like of, of things now and, and going forward? Um, I feel like we'll no, start with you. Yeah, Phil, you go first, sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, I would say definitely things are better. We just talked about discovery, but not only discovery, we mm-hmm. see more people 
more women just across the board. Uh, when we go to Dragon Con, which I started going to a couple <laughs> of years ago, I see more women represented there. I see lawyers. I see people with all different backgrounds really getting into science fiction and comics and things like that. And I think we all have a little fantasy in us and want things to be better. And we can imagine a better world through these different you know, avenues. So I'm, I'm excited about that. But definitely, I think the world is better. And I think people like us and people the next generation when you t- talk to young people, I have a young, some young people on my team and they see the world in a completely different way. Like and they didn't even deal with some of the stuff we dealt with and they just see, well, it's this the way it should be. So I'm excited to see the new people, the, the young people come on board of all races because they have a very different view. So that may be an interesting conversation to have. They are like, they don't have any tolerance for this nonsense. They're like, this is the way, this is, we're creating the world that we want. This is, this is what we, this is our world. So definitely things have changed. There's a there's a specific group at Dragon Con that caught, that refers to themselves as the uh, Dragon Con Blurds, and uh, it was the first time I'd heard the term Blurds. Is that like a is that is that is that really something that ha- like nationally is is a word is a thing? I've never yeah. heard of it. Blurred. Um, it is. I've heard yeah. of like Larry Wilmore is and some other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's a term. It's, it's a national. No, 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 no. I'm just no. I'm saying it's it's a it's a it's something that a lot of people younger than myself like use. It's a, but it's. It's um. I don't want to jump in with my answer with my answer to the question, but yeah, blurs. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We got to wrap it up. The, the Keith, what do you think? Are things getting better? Absolutely. I think. I think again back to um. And again, I, my late father was strong image on me, a strong influence on me. My late father, born in 1925, experimented on by the U.S. Army, basically told N-word, "We'll hang you just for trying to vote," and remembering when it was a big deal to see a black man on. And, and if somebody wonders, was this the Star Trek show today? That's because Star Trek was the representation at that time. Star Wars wasn't, that was later. Lost in Space wasn't. Um, I love those shows. Voice to the Bottom of the Sea. I watched every science fiction show were produced, but there was no diversity really other than Star Trek. And going from a time where it was a big deal to look at a Dr. Daystrom to a time where we have so many people of color on Discovery and to a time where somebody like Ryan Coogler, who comes to prominence, not for Black Panther, but for Fruitvale Station, dealing with racism in real life America, and then doing a fictional world where people come away enjoying a science fiction movie, a comic book based movie, but came away with real life lessons. Yeah, we are absolutely progressing. We have far to go, but I think we are absolutely progressing. And when things in real life and in the, get tough, we always talk about, yes, everybody knows what's going on in the world in this country now. I always remind myself, uh, we were just talking the other day about work problems. And I said, I, I had to remind myself, my father used to work with guys who called him the N-word every day and had to threaten to beat them up. And he was a preacher. I have a whole bunch of problems in my job. I don't have that problem. And it's the same with science fiction, the fantasy world. It's got a ways to go, but it is so much better than it was. And so I think it's only going to get better. So I'm I'm very pleased and very, very enthusiastic for the future of, of all speculative fiction. Robert? I, I think we've made progress, but we got further to go. Mm-hmm. Um, two examples always I've given most recently is um, Ray Fisher having to deal with what he dealt with uh, right. with the Joss Whedon situation. And uh, secondly, I love the Arrowverse, but there was a there was a a black woman who was writing for the new Superman series who was fired um, because according to her, she brought up um, she felt that people were making like tasteless jokes about the me too movement and about race. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I think that we have definitely made a lot of strides, but I do feel that um, we that it needs to get better. I mean, it needs to be it needs to get better. And where I see a lot of that happening more so is on the indie is in the indie realm. Um, but you know, I, we have examples like Fast Colors, uh, Watchmen, and Lovecraft Country. Um, but I just you know, I just want us to keep moving forward so we don't have those examples like the two that I just listed. Right. And and real talk, nobody was listening to Ray Fisher like he was until Charisma Carpenter popped up and made her allegation and, and gave and spoke her truth. So that's a, it's kind of a problem that it's a big problem that he wasn't heard as loudly as he's being heard now until he was supported, you know, by. Yeah you know, by her. So that's the thing. So there, those examples are still cropping up. Um, but I, I feel that we need to get better, but I think that people behind us, like the younger generation, they don't have the patience for it. They don't. Um, because it, this, this should all should be equal. We should all speak in, you know, telling our own truths and telling our own stories so we can all enjoy it. Enjoy, enjoy these stories. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys. Thank you all for, for sharing and coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, we will be right back uh, to close out the show. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, this geek girl is talking about the board game Wingspan. So it's been a while since I've talked about a board game on here. So I figured I would talk about one that I've been able to play a bit since it has a great two-player setup, or it could also play up to five if you have more people in your home. Wingspan is a card-driven game where players try to attract different birds to their wildlife reserve, which is your board. You have objective cards to help you gain more victory points by the end of the game, and to kind of help you figure out a strategy to play as well. This game has beautiful artwork, really, really lovely plastic pieces, the little eggs are my favorite part of the game, and the aesthetic, the colors, everything about this game are great. And then there are also little cardboard tiles in the game as well that are really cute with artwork on them. This game is easy to get a grasp on, but it's challenging enough to make you think about it while you're playing, so you really have to plan out your next move, and how to fill up your wildlife reserve board to best help you win the game. Each game takes about 40 minutes to around an hour to play, so it's a fun, quick game as well. There are even expansions to help keep the game fresh with new birds. Wingspan is just a fun, laid-back game that has a great light color palette, and it's easy on the eyes with fun artwork. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Hey everyone, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. And this week we say rest in power to Miss Mary Wilson, a co-founding member of the Supremes along with Diana Ross and Florence Ballard. She passed away of heart disease at her home in Nevada on February 8th. Um, she stayed with the Supremes uh, after uh, Diana Ross and Florence Ballard both left and she continued her solo career 
um, right up until the last days of her life. She has a new album uh, scheduled to come out by uh, what would have been her 77th birthday on March 6th. Uh, she played Vegas. She wrote two autobiographies. And along with her music, uh, the other biggest part of her legacy is she lobbied tirelessly for a piece of legislation called the Truth in Music Advertising Act. And what that bill stipulates is that if you are touring uh, under the name of a known um, music performance group, you have to have at least one original member of that group as part of the lineup. It protects uh, ticket buyers from buying tickets to what turns out to be a tribute band um, without knowing it. And it protects artists um, who have the right to tour and capitalize on the name that they made famous without imposters uh, walking in and taking over that name. Um, that has been passed not by every state in the Union, but by about two-thirds. So that is something she worked very hard for. And uh, we say goodbye to Mary Wilson, and that music will just live forever. Of course, um, the Supremes were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1988. And this past week, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame released its new ballot for the class of 2021. And it's an amazing, surprising, pivotal ballot this year. Um you can go to my blog at iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com and see the lineup and get my thoughts on the ballot. And there's a link to the ballot as well. And uh, my blog at esopodcast.com. Uh, I have some other music news for you with Justin Timberlake, Taylor Swift, and a few other music stories I couldn't fit in here. So tons to read. Check it all out and I will catch you next time. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here. Robert, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. <laughs> oh, dude, it was awesome. And if only these people heard what we were talking about off the air yeah. compared to what we were talking about <laughs> on the air. It was pretty amazing. Anything you want to shout out about tonight? Uh, just a couple of things. Uh, you can find me and all my work at uh, robertkjeffrey.com. That's robertkjeffrey.com. Uh, and also check out a little website I uh, edit in chief for, if that's a phrase, whatever. It's uh, blacksci-fi.com, blacksci-fi.com. And I will be a featured guest and panelist at VirtuousCon. Uh, on February 20th and 21st and you can uh, sign up for free it's uh, no cost unless you want to buy stuff which um, I'm always happy with so Virtuous <laughs> Con February 20th and 21st and it's being sponsored by DC Comics which is really cool that awesome. is awesome man that is really awesome thank you again though I really appreciate you being here for this topic and Keith and Phyllis a couple of wonderful people <laughs> and it's always great to see you guys too up here we enjoyed it had a great time thanks for the invitation it was my first one so <laughs> I had a great time you're no longer a podcasting virgin it's awesome <laughs> there you go <laughs> We'll need to get her in the geek seat at some point, Mike. Oh, yeah. Oh, I definitely think so. Definitely think that. I see I see that in her future. I don't know why. <laughs> Anything you guys want to shout out about? 
Uh, yeah, I've been working on a, a new podcast that I'm really happy about with other Star Trek fans called the Earth Station Trek, where we discuss all things Star Trek, all series, cartoons, books, merchandise, cultures, and so forth. It's a really great time. I'm also all over, well, Facebook. I'm, I'm on the ESO Network Facebook group. I'm always participating posting and reading things that's pretty much it i don't do a lot of instagram or twitter yet but that's most of where you can find me give it time give it time my friend <laughs> exactly yeah. you know and what's the name of that podcast you're involved with earth station trap Ooh, listen to that show folks you're gonna be hearing <laughs> a lot about it yeah. soon so <laughs> that is awesome guys it is so good to have you up here and of course Thank mr you. mike it is always awesome to talk to you, my friend. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, I do. I do want to give a, uh, well, you know, there's been a lot of uh, controversy, especially over the last week or so. So, um, and I just wanted to publicly uh, say that um, uh, I stand with Evan Rachel Wood. I stand with Ray Fisher and Charisma Carpenter. I stay. I, I stand with Disney and Lucasfilm on some of their uh, recent. Um, uh, well, let's put it this way: as a podcaster, as a you know lowly public figure that I am, as a as a comic creator, as a writer, as a man, as a person, as a human, I just support everyone who is speaking out to tell their truths, and uh, and I applaud their efforts. I know it's not easy. Uh, to to say some of the stuff that they've been saying and uh, and make some of these decisions and uh, I, I stand with them. Amen. There you go. Very good. Wow. I'm not going to even do my shout out tonight because you know, <laughs> you know, mine was like go watch Men in Kilts. It's it was a lot of fun. So <laughs> that's fine. You, you stand know, with Men in Kilts. <laughs> I do stand with Men in Kilts. As a Men in Kilts, sometime I do agree with it completely. It is an awesome series for the fans of Outlander. It's coming now on Stars, so check it out. And speaking of checking it out, join us here again next week. We got a music episode coming up. That's right, folks. We are going to be looking at the class of 2021. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has made its announcement of who is going in, possibly, and who might not be getting in again. It should be a lot of fun where you talk about the class of 2021 of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees. Should be a lot of fun, and it's always great to get Ricky and Bambi and Michelle up here. So, Always great, always fun, and you know what? It's always just fun talking to you guys. So, of course, we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Please write us, of course, at feedback at earthstation1.com. And thank you, of course, for listening to Earthstation One Podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at www.nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music and Audible. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. Yeah, we're not too proud to beg. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Robert Jeffrey, Keith, and Phyllis Johnson, thank you again for listening. We will see you here next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Stay safe, hug your loved ones, and be careful. Peace. We're out of here. Hey.
You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.